With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined by, well, not Lucas and Kenny today. Everybody, I want to introduce you to this week's guest podcast hosts, Rob Wolf and Allison McKay. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you, Steve? I'm good. Rob? I'm doing well also. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve. All right. So, um... In the spirit of my new guests this week, I wanted to take a look at some guest commentators in the booth over the last couple of years for our Promote Extend Trade segment. But it was actually harder for me to find info about guests than I thought, so I just want to go with announcers, period. Mm -hmm. So for Promote Extend Trade this week, we have the the trio of Gary, Keith, and Ron. Mm -hmm. We have the trio of Ralph Kiner, Tim McCarver, and Keith Thorne from like the 80s and 90s. And then we have the trio of Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, and Ralph Kiner from the early days. So of those three trios, who are we promoting, who are we extending, and who are we trading? Hmm. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> it is hard. It's one of the few areas we've been blessed in to an extent. Um, exactly. Uh, like there's well, not a bad answer. But the name Tim McCarver was in there, so that's getting traded right there. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Rob, you seem to have a better idea than me, so you go first. Oh, um, I, I don't want to fall into recency bias, but, uh, uh, you know, so it's promote, trade, extend. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, GKR are, I don't know, blazing new trails for me. They're, they're kind of my... I, 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 maybe it's recency bias, but I, I love them and I, I want them forever or as long as we can have them. Uh, so I, I guess I'll go with the extend. I'll promote the classic uh, Bob, Lindsay, and Ralph, and I will trade away Tim McCarver uh, just, you know, just to get rid of his contract. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to give up some stuff you like sometimes just to just to ship Tim McCarver out of town. <laughs> Who I still have to listen to often, because as I've mentioned all the time, my wife's a Cardinal fan, and every once in a while I hear that voice when she's I'm just like, oh, damn it. I thought I was free of that. But anyway. <laughs> I, I feel you, Rob. I actually, I'm going to go with the same answer. Um, it's, t- it's tough for me, though, because I have a soft spot in my heart for Thorne because he's the Orioles announcer now. Mm-hmm. And so I hear quite a bit of him still in my life um, as someone who, until very recently, as in like Friday, <laughs> lived in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I do still really, really love Thorne's broadcasting because he's now, um, you know, on the Orioles broadcast. So it, it kind of it kind of hurts me to trade that team. But you can't you can't snub the classic. You can't. <laughs> I hear you. I, I I love Gary Thorne too. And and by the way, congratulations on the move too. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I am back I, in New Jersey, everyone, podcast listeners. I am back in the SNY viewing area. So much more Gary, Keith, and Ron in my life now. Mm-hmm. Although I do have MLB.tv, but I won't get blacked out anymore. Now I can just watch them all the time. I think that the McCarver Thorne conundrum is definitely the most difficult of, of the whole thing because I you know, Thorne is a good announcer. And McCarver wasn't bad when he was doing the Mets, but um, I don't particularly appreciate him now. So that makes the whole thing (laughs) difficult. (laughs) All right. So moving on, let's take a look at the affiliates real quick. And the Syracuse Mets had an abbreviated week because of the All-Star break. And they went two and two this week, which puts them at 44 and 48 for the year, which is nine games behind the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Railriders, first place in the International League North. And Binghamton also had an abbreviated week because it was the Eastern League All-Star game. And they went 4-1, and one, leaving them at four, at 11-14 and 14 for the second half, which is four and a half games behind the Reading Fightin' Phils for first place in the Eastern League Eastern Division. The Columbia Fireflies did not have a great week. They went 2-3, and three, and they had a rain postponement, and that makes them an even 11-11 and 11, in the second half, which is a half game behind the Augusta Green Jackets and the Rome Braves, both of whom for are, are tied for first in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. Cyclones went four and three, and that makes them fifteen and thirteen on the season now, which is a game behind the Aberdeen Ironbirds for first place in the New York Penn League McNamara Division. Kingsport had a good week; they went five and one, and they are now an even twelve and twelve on the year, which is two games behind the Elizabethan Twins in the Appalachian League West. And last but not least are the GCL Mets, and they are currently over 500. They're 9-7 and seven for the year. That brings us to our hitter of the week, and that individual is Hansel Moreno. In six games this week, he hit 476, 542, 
857 with a double, two triples, and a home run. For a little bit about Moreno, uh, he signed with the Mets in 2014. He wasn't really given a particularly big uh, signing bonus, just $50,000. At the time, he was still very raw as a baseball player. Um, he was seen more as an athlete than a baseball player. He had good speed and an above-average arm, so that gave him solid defense. But there were a lot of questions about the bat. But he was 17, he was six foot three, and only 170 pounds, so... Basically, the evaluators and scouts figured that he'd add some muscle, he'd learn some play discipline, and he basically developed into a hitter. It was a good base to start for him. He spent a couple of years in the DSL, three, and then he was brought stateside in 2017, and he played for the GCL Mets and the Kingsport Mets, and he hit well both stops. Um, he hit a little bit better in Kingsport than the GCL, and he ended the year with a combined batting uh, line of 295, 360, Three, uh, 432 in 57 games, and he hit four homers, and he stole 14 bases in 18 attempts. So the Mets liked what they saw. They promoted him and assigned him to the Columbia Fireflies in 2018, which is a pretty aggressive assignment based on his experience and the fact that, you know, competition really jumps when you go from uh, rookie ball to low A ball. And sure enough, he didn't really respond too well. Um, in 89 games, he hit just 248, 307, 398 with four home runs and 21 stolen bases in 32 tries. So the Mets uh, continued the aggressive pace that they set for him. They promoted him to St. Lucie to begin the season, but he was, I mean, I don't really know any other words to describe it other than just absolutely putrid. Uh, in 27 games in April and early May, he hit. 124, 184, 135. So they sent him back down to Columbia, and he spent basically half of May and then all of June. And he did well. Um, he hit 276, 344, 440 in 32 games, and he earned himself a promotion back to St. Lucie. It's been about two weeks or so that he's been there, but he's handled himself well in his second go-round in April this year. And um, he is currently hitting 276, uh, 344, 440 in 12 games. So, unfortunately, that batting line is is um, being held up by an unsustainable 41 bat bip. So, we're going to have to see whether or not Moreno's hitting skills have come around or not. I saw him in Colombia when I spent a week down there, and there's some stuff to like, but at the same time... He's 22, he's turning 23 in November, and he's still very raw. He spent a lot of time in the DSL, three full seasons, and his development since he's come stateside has been kind of slow. A lot of the physical development that scouts thought was going to happen hasn't really happened. He's still very lean, he's still very leggy with a high butt. He really has only put about 10 pounds or so. So physically, he's still the same kind of kid that he was a couple of years ago. Mentally, he's actually matured a lot, which is interesting to say. Um, because that's the kind of thing that we don't really get to see very much of. You know, it's a kind of very personal thing. But he's gone on the record to say that he's seen um, sports psychologists to help him with, like, his anger issues. So that's actually pretty mature for a kid, you know, a 20-year-old kid or so. Take notes, other players. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Major league players, too. (laughs) And even even non-baseball players, just anyone listening out there. Yeah, if you have problems, there's nothing wrong with going to see 
a therapist, psychologist, psychologist, whatever it is that you need. They're only there to help. Um, so physically at the plate, Moreno has a very wide swing and he swings over a lot of breaking balls and really probably is not going to be a very high average hitter in the future. And while he does have a little bit of pop when he does connect, missing <laughs> when you swing is going to be a big issue with that. Uh, his speed is really his best tool. Um, it comes in handy when he's at the plate because, you know, it could run out infield hits and you're actually also able to put a little bit of pressure on the defense and sometimes force errors. And then in the outfield, they've uh, converted him into a center fielder. And his combination of range and strong arm actually makes him a decent center fielder. He's still kind of learning the roots, but I've seen him make a couple of good plays, more than I actually thought that he would be able to, including um, uh, an impressive dive that immediately comes to mind. But given his rawness vis-a-vis -vis his age, unless a light bulb goes on, I'm not really expecting much from uh, Moreno. Uh, but he is a kind of jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, as a switch hitting utility guy. So there's plenty of roads for him to go down and, you know, plenty of potential opportunities for him down the road. So not really expecting too much from him, but if he did somehow hit his way to the major leagues, I wouldn't be all too surprised. So not, so not to sneak ahead, but what would, what would you call his 90th percentile outcome? Like a utility? Uh, yeah. Them? I mean, if, if even, Utility know. guy is probably the best, gotcha. unless there's any kind of uh, unforeseen developments. Gotcha. Now for our pitcher of the week, he is a guy that probably fewer people are aware of than Hansel Moreno, and you probably have to be a uh, deep follower of the system to be aware of Hansel Moreno. And our pitcher of the week is Frank Valentino. He pitched in one game this week. He went six innings, allowing one run on two hits, and he walked one batter and struck out seven. So, because I'm sure everybody wants to know who the hell is Frank Valentino, he's from West Islip over in Suffolk. Um, he went to West Islip High School, and he graduated in 2014, and then he went to Suffolk Community College. He played ball for a season there. Um, he posted a 131 ERA in 55 innings allowing 36 hits, walking 18, and striking out 84. And then after spending those two years at Suffolk Community College, he transferred to the New York Institute of Technology, where he studied communications and played baseball. And his first exposure to NCAA Division I competition was not very pretty. Um, he went from a 131 ERA at Suffolk to a 572 ERA in 47.1 innings. And his strikeout rate, which was uh, 84 in his year at Suffolk, dropped to a 38. Uh, excuse me, dropped to a 38. So, despite the poor numbers, he was actually one of Frank Catalano's most dependable pitchers. So he was giving another shot in his senior year, and was named the opening day starter. And just like you want your aces to go, he went 0-9 for the year, posting a 5.51 ERA in 78.1 innings over 12 starts and one relief appearance. His uh, hit allowed was about the same, 89. His walker was about the same, 30. But he did strike out a couple more batters. He struck out 64 that year. So, obviously, 
he did not get drafted as a, neither a junior or a senior with that uh, type of performance. So he continued playing baseball. Um, 2018, he played with the Viejo Admirals of the Pacific Association, and he wasn't particularly good. Uh, in 98 innings, he posted a 5.05 ERA and impressed nobody. And he returned to the Indies in 2019 because nobody uh, came calling. So this year, he was pitching for the Florence Freedom of the Frontier League, and he actually was pretty solid. In eight starts, he posted a 210 ERA, uh, pitching 51.1 innings while allowing 41 hits, walking 16, and striking at 49. So his performance uh, garnered the interest of Mets, who coincidentally, their uh, minor league operations director, Ronnie Reyes, went to the same school, New York Tech. So there's a little connection there. And then in late June, he signed a contract with uh, the team that he grew up rooting for. He's been solid in a handful of games at the Cyclones. <clears throat> it's a nice success story for a local kid. But honestly, you know, I try to be a balance of optimistic and realistic. <laughs> and I don't really, um, I, I, I can't really imagine the uh, success lasting for too much longer. The stuff isn't exactly exciting. He has, you know, low 90s fastball, underwhelming secondary stuff so the rope isn't really too long to begin with and then we know that he's had trouble with college hitters and the kind of smorgasbord of experience of guys in the indies so i have no doubt that he's improved based on his performance and with the florence freedom but the upside is still pretty limited and the mets have had some success with uh indie guys and and turning them into kind of useful pieces on the farm over the last couple of years um Barrett Barnes, he's having a solid season this year. Luke Rennie, he was decent last year. Casey Delgado had a solid run a couple of years ago. And I guess Josh Smoker is like the the ultimate feel-good story there. He, he made it to the majors. But it's just not really a good, you know, strategy for the team. Not I was going to say, anything. you can look to Chris Mazza for some inspiration. Right. I mean, not to take anything away from these guys, it's... As we've discussed, it's really something to basically keep playing ball professionally with the kind of stuff that they have to go through, yeah. especially, you know, in the indies where there is no, you know, major league uh, clubs subsidizing anything. But, you know, it's just not a good strategy for the Mets. They need to really do a better job develop drafting and then developing kind of back end depth. Mm. As someone who grew up very close to the Somerset Patriots, I have a soft spot in my heart for independent league baseball. Rooting for him. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's unfortunate that the Mets, uh, excuse me, not the Mets, that Major League Baseball has kind of gobbled up the Atlantic League and... Made it into a guinea pig league. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, it is what it is. <laughs> All right, well, we will be right back after these messages. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Rob and Allison. And this week, we're going to take a look. We're going to take a look at things a little bit differently. We're going to change our perspective just a bit on this minor league podcast. And I'm going to take a look at some major leaguers. Uh, this week, obviously, in Major League Baseball, it was all about the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. And the Mets have had uh, the Mets had three participants this year, Peter Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Jacob deGrom. And they are all extremely relevant to today's discussion of 90%—90%—I uh, <laughs> can't get this out of my mouth—90th percentile outcomes. McNeil, Alonso, deGrom, they're all— Examples of that, they're probably 99th percentile outcomes. Um, for anyone, you guys are familiar with the term? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so for anyone, you know, not too familiar with it, it's basically, you know, every prospect has kind of projected outcome based on their physical tools, their, you know, forecasted development, stuff like that. And for most guys, they'll fulfill some degree of those projections. But very few players actually reach their full potential, which is, you know, usually the 90th percentile outcome, it's called. So let's take a look at Peter Alonso first. Um, he was drafted in 2016, which is the first year that I was doing draft duties for Mason Avenue. So I just took a blurb of his uh, report that I wrote when he was first drafted, and I'll quote myself here. Power is Peter Alonso's calling card, and he has that in spades. The first baseman has plus power, and he's able to manifest that during both batting practice and in-game situations. He generates it using natural strength and a plus bat. His swing path generates loft, and he gets good arm extension, but sometimes it causes him to overstride to compensate if he's unable to catch up with velocity. A change in his batting stance, opening up more at the plate to use his hips and legs more efficiently, has also helped the first baseman tap into his power better. When Alonso makes contact, is always always hard contact. His home run rates of his home runs are very rarely wall scrapers. In 2015, he hit the very first home run over the center field wall at the TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha during the 2015 College World Series. His power is mostly due to pull side, but the right-hander has begun to hit to all fields, spraying line drives all around the diamond. A 310 hitter over the course of his college career, the first baseman is unlikely to maintain that high in the average in the years to come. Alonso is far from a one-dimensional player, though, and has shown enough patience in his at-bats to suggest that he can compensate for his batting average with walks. So originally, we kind of thought that Alonso was a guy that, you know, not exactly an Adam Dunnish kind of player that would hit for lots of power but have a, a terrible batting average. But we thought that the swing could use some help. Um, in 2017, we ranked him the Mets' 16th best prospect, and... I specifically wrote about him. I said, I'm higher on Alonzo than most, but I believe in the bat and the changes that need to be made will be made. Alonzo isn't a second-rate player that got by on smoke and mirrors. He's a, an elite player on an elite college team. 
he wouldn't have been able to get to where he was without understanding the game and listening to coaches. And I have no doubt that he'll continue when they work with him to improve his swing. And then he got off to a pretty rough start in 2017. Um, He broke his hand. And then when he got back on the field, he struggled quite a bit for about three weeks, a month or so. But then he was working with Chad Kreuter and other coaches in St. Lucie. And they changed his swing a bit. They kind of helped him with the mental side of the game. And then he went on a tear. And he really hasn't looked back. Um, His swing was a little bit more balanced. His hands were quieter. The path to the bat a bit shorter. And basically, he dominated the rest of the time that he's in St. Lucie. And then he dominated in Binghamton and Las Vegas last season. And I would you guys agree that he's basically dominating the majors right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> so, I mean. Unbelievable. Like, he's going to break the rookie record for home runs. I think so, yeah. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little worried that, you know, the performance in the uh, home run derby might have sapped a little bit from him. Mm. But we'll see. I was he reading. Is, he was big time Rob today. He honestly should have hit two home runs. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading something. Uh, uh, I forget what it was. It might have been Sports Illustrated. It was a quote by David Ortiz from a couple of years. Well, probably more than a couple of years now, but from a few years ago about the home run derby and where a lot of guys go wrong is that they'll kind of change the swings a little bit to just kind of swing. um, What's a good way to put it? Like just power swings, just swing with reckless abandon. Mm -hmm. And that's something that if you go back and watch, Pete Alonso did not really do his, he didn't really tinker with his swing. He didn't really change his swing. His arms, his hands were still kind of Mm lowish. He wasn't really, Swinging out of the zone and and doing crazy things to, you know, maximize his power. So if that is the case, I think that does bode well for his kind of power numbers going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's where um, the poor pitching of his batting Mm -hmm. practice pitch a pitcher might have been a blessing in disguise a little bit because it almost like replicated an in-game situation a little more and that's reflected in his spray chart because he was kind of forced to hit the ball where it was pitched as opposed to Vlad Guerrero Jr. for example who while he did awesome and it was so much fun to watch him he was clearly just pulling everything and just you know as you say swinging with reckless abandon pretty much and that last round like I think they're even saying he was kind of giving him to him high and inside so he could kind of like cheat and just yank him like like you said kind of literally changing his swing path a little possibly to launch the home runs in that final round Mm -hmm. Um, and and when i was looking for that quote from david ortiz because somebody mentioned it to me so i was looking for it but just searching like home run derby a lot of people are very angry about uh alonzo especially in canada (laughs) oh yeah I did not. I didn't realize the amount of like vitriol being being spewed about how he's he's not the true home run king and he's not the true winner and whatever else. Yeah, I enjoyed. uh, I think Vaz or someone from the side too. I can't believe the team that scored the most runs didn't win the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. People who don't know how tournament style play works, apparently. Exactly. All right. Well, next up, we'll look at Jeff McNeil. Um. When he was drafted, Alex Nelson was still doing our draft stuff at the time. And he wrote, quote, The key is a very basic approach to the plate that mostly involves just seeing a pitch and slashing at it with his bat. He hasn't hit a homer in three college seasons and only has 29 extra base hits. 18 of them were in 2013. 
He's widened his stance and lengthened his swing a little bit, which may account for the increased doubles production of this season. But I don't expect him to learn to drive the ball into the gaps much as a pro. He'll mostly be a slap hitter, which would benefit him if he learns to use his speed better. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a great approach at the plate, lacking patience and employing more of a see-ball, hit-ball method. It's a testament to his hand-eye coordination and the simple swing that he doesn't strike out more often. Because of his positional versatility and total lack of juice in his bat, I see him more as a utility player prospect whose best position is at second base. More or less, that was the case for McNeil um, until 2016, when he reported to spring training having put on like 20 pounds of mostly muscle. Uh, Amazing Avenue's Jeff and Greg, they went to one of those early games in Binghamton, and they saw how much of a difference that added muscle was really making. Um, The ball jumped off of his bat with a crack, and he was already a solid hitter batting average-wise, but now he was hitting the ball with a lot more authority, and he was hitting for some power. And unfortunately, maybe directly because of all that weight and muscle that he added on, he missed a ton of time in 2016 and 2017 due to injuries. Um, 2016, he basically missed the entire season because of a double sports hernia and then a hip labrum tear. And then in 2017, he missed a huge chunk of the year due to a groin groin injury, which ironically happened as he was rounding the bases after he hit a home run. So... (laughs) All that time off kind of made people forget about McNeil or lose faith. I know I was one of them. Uh, we ranked him 21st best prospect in 2018. And basically, I said I was jumping off the McNeil train after being a fan of his earlier in the year because just the injuries were piling up. He was losing developmental time and basically getting lost in the pack of kind of replaceable middle infield prospects that the team had at the time. And that was literally the worst time to jump off the train. Because he reported into camp 2018 fully healthy, he was still packing an extra muscle, and then sure enough, he was basically just as dominant as Pete Alonso was in Binghamton and Las Vegas. And then he kept hitting when he got called up to the major leagues, and he's kept hitting this year. And basically, you know, if the season ended at the All-Star break, he would have won the batting championship. So... You know, to a lot of people, it felt like McNeil kind of came out of nowhere. But all the gains, all that stuff was there. And he was just finally healthy enough to, you know, show it off. And that added muscle is huge. It's a huge, big deal. He basically went from having a career-high four (laughs) professional home runs to hitting 19 last year. All while maintaining a really high batting average. And then this season now all of which has been in the major leagues. He has eight home runs. He's slugging shade over 500. So he's definitely reached his 90th percentile outcome thanks to adding some of that muscle. Do you think we'd be talking about this as a 90th percentile outcome if the injuries hadn't happened? Uh, that's the thing. I think that we, we might have seen this McNeil two years ago. Yeah, that's um, what I think too. I mean, it really wasn't a change in his, you know, he, he changed his approach a bit, but it, it really was just his being injured and off the field that kind of delayed his arrival, if you want to call it. Because he was still, always a good hitter and just started hitting for power. But you still probably wouldn't have expected, even if he didn't miss those two years, do you think you would have expected him to be, you know, an all-star? or No, you know, uh, an all-star... Yeah. Definitely. I, I don't think that at, at no point in time did I, I don't think anybody thought that he would be, you know, 
the batting champion. <laughs> I mean, he's hitting like, th- I think it's a little bit higher now because he has a home run today, but he's hitting basically 350. Yeah. That's like Tony Gwen level. Oh, no. The Mets certainly didn't expect it because they, <laughs> the Mets, I think, didn't think he was that good. And that was borne out by the fact that they, you know, uh, traded for, you know, a second baseman who's going to be there for a while now and, you know, put McNeil in the outfield. And who knows if McNeil would have even been starting if not for injuries to, you know, Lowry, Nimmo, et cetera, et cetera. A very weird situation with their internal evaluations and scouting in terms of McNeil and. You know, again, I don't think anybody expected Jeff McNeil All-Star, but if he was hitting, let's say, 275, I think that would be a very uh, good outcome for a hitter who is, you know, making the major league minimum and really you'd be filling in a hole for nothing. Yeah. I mean, to me, the interesting question is, like, how do you, I mean, obviously you can't ever prepare or plan a team around players reaching their 90th percentile outcome, but, like, what... And that probably varies all the time, but like what perce- what factor is the team and the coaching? What factor is the individuals change? Because, yeah, like it seems like the team didn't think, oh, you know, Mc- McNeil's turned a corner, like people are low on him, but we think we have a real gem here. They seem to think we still need a second baseman. Yeah, it's it's an odd situation because it's, it's not like he was a guy where you could say that his... Um, success was directly directly came in correlation with like a certain coach you know working with him or a certain guy showing him this or that it was really just he got stronger and you know a a lot of the stuff you know that that happened while he was injured and rehabbing and all that kind of stuff came in situations and in places where we were not able to see but the Mets brass the Mets executives were able to you know what I mean like they can see him during his rehab you know at the complex you know they're the ones that are keeping tabs on him no a lot more than we do to be frank and I don't know it's just a very strange miss on their part mm-hmm. whereas Alonzo from what you said when you're introducing his story you feel like like when he was with Cruder, like like you feel like the changes in the swing were a more tangible or more known quantity sure. Right. I mean, he went from his first month in 2017, I think he hit like 200 with like a home run. And that was because, again, he was injured, he broke his hand, and then coming back from the injury, you know, sometimes you're slow to um, get back, you know, into shape and playing shape and everything like that. But then, you know, from June on, whatever it is, he hit like over 300 and was slugging over like 500, something to that effect. And... There's definitely a correlation between the improvements in his swing and the success. I mean, I feel like that is an undeniable thing. Whereas McNeil, it just he just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And hey, the Mets didn't miss on Alonzo, at least. Like no, they, no. you know, to their credit, they. Uh, even though some people wanted him up in September of last year, but to their credit, they chose not to manipulate his service time. And, you know, they, and it's not like they didn't have another option. They could have, you know, they could have put Dominic Smith at first base. He had a great spring training. He's performing pretty well in his role in the major league level. They could have just said, you know, Dominic Smith's our first baseman and they didn't. So, you know, is credit to seeing, seeing the better player. Yeah. No, that's, yep. that's- 
That was, was very interesting to me because they did seem to have that faith in Alonzo, you know, and yeah, I'm grateful they didn't manipulate his service time, but also some people did think it was, you know, touch misplaced or like, oh, even though he had a great spring too, like, oh, they're just giving him the job. Uh, but he's run with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Better than I think anybody would have. I, I was very high on him and I don't think I expected this kind of production. Right. Yeah, and it just makes me wonder, like, what's the difference between they seem to be really, really like they had faith in Alonzo from day one, but like they didn't seem to have faith in McNeil. And I feel like it's very similar story to the way Nimmo has played out, too. Like they didn't seem to think Nimmo was that good either. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, their internal scouting sometimes <laughs> makes you wonder. <laughs> Inconsistent. Yeah. One guy, though, that everybody missed on that. I don't think you can blame anybody is probably the best of the bunch, Jacob deGrom. Uh, When he was drafted out of Stetson all the way back in 2010, he wasn't particularly heralded. He was new to pitching. Then he missed the entire 2011 season because of Tommy John surgery. And then when he returned in 2012, he posted solid numbers, you know, good, but not exceptional. And he was an older guy playing against players that were, at times, a lot younger than him. He was 24 when he pitched in Savannah in 2012. So that was about two years older than the league average and six, actually six years older than the youngest player in the, in the league. So generally speaking, when an older guy is dominating younger players, it'll get you noticed, but then you have to add that asterisk. And uh, he progressed up the major league ladder. Again, solid, not exceptional numbers. And then at the time of his debut, uh, MLB debut, he's basically a guy that threw 91 to 94 or so with a slider that flashed average to above average, kind of get me over curve, a feel for the changeup, you know, slightly above average ground ball rate. Nothing leaps off the pages at you, which is why we ranked him in 2014 as the Mets 15th top prospect. And basically... Nobody had any problems at the time, you know, trading him off in theoretical deals for Didi Gregorius or whoever it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he made his major league debut and just everything played up and everything got magnified. Uh, the fastball gained velocity. He went from hitting like the mid 90s to living in the mid 90s and, and hitting, you know, 97, 98. The slider improved when Dan Wortham taught him the Wortham slider. Johan Santana kind of worked with him on his changeup grip, and that became a weapon. All those pitches, you know, the pitch tunneling between all those three worked uh, very synergistically and made them all better. And he literally became an ace. He literally became one of the best pitchers in baseball, like, overnight. Um, And he made, you know, the changes that needed to be made with him were basically, like, tightening up and improving the breaking stuff. And, you know, that doesn't happen without Dan Warthin. Uh, teaching him the slider that doesn't happen without Johan Santana kind of tinkering his changeup with him. You know, that's that's a situation where he was not as good in the minor leagues as he has been in the major leagues. And we're all very happy that he uh, <laughs> became what he became. Indeed. It's amazing. It's amazing. I can't re- like, can you think of anybody like before, de- like since Piazza? that's been like that high of a level outcome from what you would expect, like Mets wise. Mm. Off the top of my head, no. I mean, with the Mets, it's usually the other way around. It's the guys (laughs) that we're expecting lots from that then flame out. 
Yeah, that's a much longer list. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 a delight. It's, it's amazing that we're talking about these three. Yeah, you know, that a team could have these three amazing outcomes and you know still struggling. <laughs> you know, it, not not to go dark again, but uh. yeah, no, it is true. I mean, if in, within the span of a couple of years, the Mets have a Cy Young winner award winner, the, one of the best pitchers in baseball. They have the guy that won the home run derby, and they have a potential batting champion. And, I don't know. It's... <laughs> I, I, I mentioned this on the show last week. I'll mention it again. I think it was actually Dave that brought it up in Slack, but it's the Mets are a team that are 80% good and 20% bad, and that 20% is just at a really, really unfortunate spot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the games where they where everything works, and, like, you know, the bullpen actually works, you're just like, wow, this, this, this actually isn't a bad team. Like, it, you know, the, it, it's frustrating. It's, it's so frustrating. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt in yesterday's game. Like, um, even though I know it was the Marlins, so caveat, it was the Marlins, but like <laughs> yesterday's game was essentially what Brody Van Wagenen drew up in the off season. Like Noah Syndergaard had a really good game and then the, you know, the bats took care of business and scored enough. And then like Lugo pitched the eighth and Diaz pitched the ninth and Cano hit a home run and Conforto hit a home run. And it's like, that's exactly what like Cano and Diaz both contributed. Noah Syndergaard pitched great. Like it's exactly what like people who believed in this team thought would be like what their wins would look like mm-hmm. and but they can't you know the next day they just stink again <laughs> it's just like <laughs> story of the Mets unfortunately yeah and I think what like kind of going back to DeGrom for a second I think what like even amplifies like how impressive it's been to watch him like surprise the entire world is like how he came up with all these other guys who were much more heralded prospects Mm -hmm. than he was like Mm -hmm. he came up alongside you know the Mets had their super rotation of like Harvey Wheeler Mats Syndergaard all of these guys were more you know had higher prospect pedigrees than at the the time it was basically at the time it was basically oh yeah there's that DeGrom guy who needs him because we have Rafael Montero yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, right. Wasn't it that Yankee series where DeGrom and Montero like both got called up? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and like people were much more excited about Rafael Montero making his debut than Jacob DeGrom. Like, oh, he'll be swingman, pitch out of the pen, maybe a fifth starter, DeGrom, you know, behind all these other great arms and and he's the great I mean, he's the one yeah. <laughs> it's just a good thing that these guys have kind of developed because you know, 2015, 2016 was kind of a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. But luckily, luckily, at least we've had more or less at least one guy over the last decade or so that has been worth following and watching the team. I mean, in like the early 2010s, there was Dickey. Then after that was Harvey. Then there was Syndergaard. Then DeGrom or Flip those two. Now we have McNeil. Now we have Alonzo. So regardless of the win-loss record, at least there are guys worth following the team for. Yeah, and I mean, even though you know, hit parroting with what what they say, but I mean, it is something you could build around if you you know knew how to build. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you but, actually committed to it and like made the correct decisions, but yeah. and you know, as demonstrated by McNeil and. 
um, Alonso and DeGrom. It's, you know, guys developing to these kind of outcomes is unlikely, but it does happen. And sometimes it's as simple as just teaching a guy a new grip or just kind of changing your workout, um, workouts around or just kind of working some kinks out in the swing. So, you know, it doesn't mean that other guys in the system now or the younger players that are on the on the Mets at the major league level right now are going to suddenly become all-star award winners, batting champs, home run derby guys, whatever. But there's potential, and, you know, it just shows why we shouldn't give up on guys like Michael Conforto or Med Rosario or, you know, even a guy like Chris Flexen who's had no real success whatsoever. All it takes is just, you know changing the way you know tinkering a few kinks in the swing to change michael conforto from like a streaky kind of 250 hitter to say a 280 hitter with all that power to make ahmed rosario a halfway decent hitter to let his you know pretty good defense and all that speed and everything take over to let chris flexen's you know whatever he has To, well, to make his, you know, mid-90s fastball and, and secondary stuff that did look good back in AA in, like, 2016, 2017, whatever it was, you know. You, you excuse can't, me, Steve, that is impact reliever Chris Luxon to you. Yeah, it could be. Uh, when 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 we ranked him, I think, as high as fifth or so, I thought that he could be, like, an impact reliever, but it hasn't really, hasn't really uh, come to pass. It's still possible, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it just shows, you know, especially when the Mets aren't particularly good like they are now. It just shows why, you know, just don't give up on young players. Don't say they stink and kind of want them to be cast away for nothing. Because there is potential in these guys. They were all, you know, highly highly thought of minor league players. And they can become, you know, hopefully highly thought of major league players. I mean, this is a completely different type of player than Chris Flexen, obviously. But, w- like, what percentile outcome would you say that Lugo is right now? It's pretty right. high. He's another person. I don't think that he was really on anybody's radar except for Jeff, who ranked him, like, 20th or something like that in the last, you know, I think it was probably the only prospect ranking that he was in yeah. back in, like, 15, 14, 16, I don't know, whatever it was. But yeah. he's another guy that, you know, just kind of popped up at the major league level and everything just went correct. Yep. You know, his his fastball was never as good. His curveball was always good, but just everything played up and got magnified once he got to the major league. And all it takes is that one guy to t- show him something different and then boom, a light bulb goes on. Yeah. What do you think is like the biggest, obviously like it's impossible to predict these because like that's why they're 90th percentile outcomes. That's why everyone missed on DeGrom. But what do you think is like the biggest predictor for guys to reach their potential? Is it like coachability? Is it like physical tools? I mean, obviously it's a combination of these, but what do you think is like the most important Uh, factor? I mean, I guess you would have to, uh, I guess you'd have to cite those two things as equally important because you can have a guy like, Trevor Bauer, who has amazing, pure stuff, but he's kind of stubborn and doesn't like to be coached and wants to do things his way. And, you know, you've seen flashes of his potential, but then other times he's just not particularly good. And then, you know, you have to have obviously good raw stuff to begin with. So, you know, you're Ruben Tejadas of the world who don't really have any tools that flash 
you know, above average or so. Your your PJ Conlins of pitchers who, you know, they're able to get by, but nothing is really particularly good. You know, if you don't have that good raw stuff, it doesn't matter how good you are at, you know, being coached because there's just nothing really great to work with. So, yeah, it's a combination of both. And with the physical tools, like, would you be more, you know, I, I guess it varies, but like, would you be more interested in, like players who seem to have that one standout skill, like even if you don't think the other things are there, like if you just say, well, Alonzo's got plus-plus power, you can work around the other things, or Lugo's got this amazing curveball, you know, the other pitchers need development, or, you know, you think it's better being more of a, or, you know, I guess McNeil maybe has that, you know, a great contact, hand-eye coordination, hit tool, whereas DeGrom seemed like more just like a solid pitcher, who just took a leap, you know, but I, I, I mean, didn't maybe have one, you know, oh, he's got an overpowering fastball, but bad secondary is like, um, I don't know. Would, would you rather, what would you rather see if physical tool wise, like one standout tool or overall kind of, I mean, it, I, I would prefer to see the one standout tool. Yeah. I used to be a guy that I thought, um, you know, guys that are kind of average across the board. Like I used PJ Conlon as an example. I liked him when he was in the minors, you know, uh, and I thought that he would amount to more than he has become because he was solid across the board. You know, nothing really stuck out, but he had no glaring weaknesses either. He kind of was a sum, you know, the sum of his parts were greater than each individual part. And I, I thought that that could kind of carry on into the majors. It, it didn't. Um, you'll have hitters that are like that too, position players that are like that. But overall, I think it's just better to have one carrying tool because you could always that though it does depend on what the tool is. Um, sure. I mean, if you're a guy like like uh, Champ Stewart, his carrying tool was speed, but the bat was just not particularly good. So that's gonna get you know having plus plus speed is gonna get you only so far. Right. But that's why when you draft a lot of you know these younger players especially when they're signed to especially like ifa signings you'll want to target guys that have like you know plus power but they're still kind of raw as hitters because you could teach a guy how to be a better hitter but you can't necessarily teach him how to how to be like a a six foot one 230 (laughs) pound guy you know Mm -hmm. you could teach you know certain things but you want to target like you know tools that are not teachable because then you could work around that if that makes sense that does yeah thanks yep that was always my struggle as a young athlete it's like <laughs> i am extremely coachable but i am four foot eleven and i'm not growing any taller <laughs> and there's nothing i can do about that so that's kind of the big reason i flamed out a soccer player oh <laughs> it happens all right well we will be right back after this message from our sponsors with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve, and I'm joined this week by guest hosts Rob Wolf and Allison McKay. And we are going to now do Oh Yeah, That Guy, where we take a look back and remember some of the minor leaguers of years past that we probably have forgotten about. So this week, our Oh Yeah, That Guy is going to be Miller Diaz, who on July 11th, 2015, threw eight innings for the Cyclones, allowing three hits, walking none, and striking out seven. So do either of you guys remember Miller Diaz? I remember the name for sure, yeah. Yeah, the name sounded like vaguely familiar, but if Mm. if you asked me like anything about him, I wouldn't be able to answer it. Right, right, right. All right, well, uh, Diaz was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and he eventually initially, excuse me, broke into baseball as a catcher before then converting to pitching. And the Mets signed him in February uh, 2009. He spent a year in the now-defunct Venezuelan Summer League and then a year in the Dominican Summer League before coming stateside in 2011. And he split time with the GCL Mets and the Kingsport Mets that year. And then he spent the majority of the 2012 season with Kingsport and then spent the majority of the 2013 season with the Brooklyn Cyclones. And that is where he became a name. Um, he posted a 2.03 RA in Brooklyn over 66.2 innings, allowing 44 hits, walking 33, and striking out 87. He started the New York Penn League All-Star game that year. And then against the Vermont Lake Monsters in late August, he struck out a career-best 11 batters, which is a mark that he never matched again in the rest of his career. And as we know, the New York Penn League kind of has a way of enhancing pitchers and even though Diaz had some success with the Savannah Sad Nats who again coincidentally are a team that were a team where the stadium favored pitching his career kind of petered off after he hit high A but luckily for the Mets in arguably you know one of the best trades that Sandy Alderson made he sold high on Miller Diaz and he packaged him along with Matt Koch and acquired Addison Reed from the Diamondbacks. That's why I know who he is. (laughs) Reed was basically money down the stretch in 2015, and then he was their best reliever in 2016 and 2017 before being traded. While Miller Diaz, on the other hand, he kind of floundered in the Arizona system before being granted free agency, and he has not been signed since. So, yeah, that... I mean, I I would say that the best trade that Alderson made was even though it pained me, the Dickey trade, because you got Darno, you got Syndergaard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as a low-key move, you know, they basically gave up nothing. I mean, Matt Koch has not really amounted to much in the major leagues, and Miller Diaz did not ever even make it. And they got Addison Reed, who was a great reliever. Yeah, he was, he was great for them. They do not make it as far as they do without him, I'm convinced. Uh, definitely I also not. wish he uh, took, took up some more of those Tyler Clippard innings in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, like I always... I, I, 
I always defend Tyler Clippard from the I'm I'm a Tyler Clippard apologist because even though because I think that people remember his postseason so strongly and it's obviously very understandable because he was so poor, but he actually pitched really well down the stretch before the postseason. Oh no, he did. I did I, I did have more faith in Reed than Clippard, and I Absolutely, think it just frustrated yeah. me a little that they seemed to use them in that reverse order. Uh, but yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying though. People are you know understandably, but maybe irrationally, tiny bit unfair towards Tyler Clipper. <laughs> but we Mets did get the Clipper bot, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, they were both... It's, I, I would say that I I was more a fan of Addison Reed than Clippard. I don't know why, but whenever I think of Clippard, I still remember him being a Yankee mm-hmm. and making his debut against the Mets and just thinking, like, this guy annoys me. So <laughs> he's always tainted in my mind. That's fair. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> but he's had a, you know, he went on to have a pretty good career. Yeah. All right. Well, do you guys have any, I'll give you both uh, a minute or so. Well, you can, you know, more than a minute, however long you like to plug your own shows. So <laughs> go right on ahead. Allison? Sure. Um, so I am usually a um, co-host of A Pot of Their Own with uh, Maggie Wigan and Linda Cernovich. Um, And we are usually every Wednesdays in your feed um, as part of the Amazing Avenue audio suite of shows. Um, so you should check us out. Um, we are the female voices of Amazing Avenue. We tend to talk about um, we talk about the Mets, but then we also talk about social justice issues in baseball. We've done lots of things. Uh, we've done domestic violence. We've we've done an interview with Dr. Meredith Wills about the um, juice baseballs um, that is looking awfully prescient now. Uh, and we're thinking about bringing her back at some point, but she's awfully busy with media right now, <laughs> given her latest piece. Um, all sorts of other things, um, what issues of human trafficking in Latin America, online harassment, all sorts of really important topics. Um, so you should check us out every Wednesday. This week will be, you know, a a flip-flop week like it is for this show all of our shows will be mixing up co-hosts so it should be super fun but after that we will get back to our usual banter um yeah i i'm glad i don't follow you in the weekly rotation i hate following you right now uh, because you you guys do cover so many more interesting diverse topics and uh you know my uh, i host unformidable which is a quaint little show where we look back at a former Met, uh, not great, let's say, a former Met, uh, you know, either slightly obscure, uh, someone who might have had one moment in the sun or one game or one one memory you might have of them. And, uh, you know, sometimes you know, just try and use it to uh, look at who the Mets are playing that week or uh, a moment, in, you know, when, the 60, when we had the 69 reunion, we look back at a, a player from the 69 Mets, try, try to couch it a little bit and the present day, but it's more more of a distraction and more of a look back at uh, a, at a former Met and their moment in the blue and orange sun. Uh, and unfortunately, it's just me. This was actually a real delight to uh, to interact with other human Met fans. Uh, so <laughs> um, I do I do love doing Unformidable, uh, but it is fun to banter with other people too. Uh, often on Unformidable, it's just me. Although we're working on getting some of the people we're going to talk about uh, on the show, which I believe Brian has pulled off for me. Uh, we might have actual uh, guests, which would be exciting. That's uh, so fun. I know. I'm looking forward to it. And Brian will be hosting Unformidable this week. I will not give away his choice, but uh, I'm very excited for him to do that in the 
in the Mix It Up week. And uh, I enjoyed this a great deal, and I hope we can do it again for some other special occasion. Uh, thank you for being part of the Amazing Avenue podcast family uh, and listening to all of them. Thank you for having us, Steve. Thank you for, it's been great interacting again in a podcast, Allison. Uh, thank you yes, both. Yes, of course. Rob, um, don't sell yourself short. I always tell Brian that you're like the Vin Scully of podcasting. Oh, wow. <laughs> because you you pull off this one-man show, and it's awesome, and everyone should check it out because it's really, really fun. It's the, for listeners of this podcast, it's the, oh, yeah, that guy, but for all of Mets history. <laughs> it, is, it is, oh, yeah, that guy for about 20 minutes, but I'll assume the Vin Scully crack wasn't just an age, no, an age thing. No, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. It was meant just a... As a you pull off an awesome one man show, and I'm like, I totally am envious of how well you do it. Oh, thank you very much. Personally, I'd say the Tim McCarver, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Ouch. Cold, Steve, cold. <laughs> all right, all right. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> no, I could be that self. I could be that self important. I, I, I'll, I'll. <laughs> you're the Tim McCarver when you're paired with Ralph Kiner and and uh, Gary Thorne. How's uh, that? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> all right well if anyone has any questions or comments send us an email over at our email address from complex queens at gmail.com you could follow us on twitter and shoot us questions there i am at steve saipa allison is at petite phd and rob is at wolf rr w-o-l-f-f-r-r all right Subscribe to all the Amazing Avenue podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate and review them. Please say good things. Don't call Rob uh, Tim McCarter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.